Hello everyone! How is everyone doing? I had really weird dreams last night. I won't go into the details of, but whoa! I gotta watch what I eat before bed. At least that was, you know, what my grandmother always told me, that is if you eat before bed you get weird dreams. Um, my other grandmother told me that if you sleep with your shoulders up on your pillow, it's a sign that you're distressed. Um, so, <laughs> never know. They're, they're, everyone's got things. Um, oh, stop grabbing me, silly. Um, I'm as sure as you can hear, I've got a, a cat purring um, next to the microphone. Um, well, we are at chapter four, and we're going to get a little further into bath today. But what we need to talk about first are a couple things. We need to talk about the title of Honorable. Um, honorable is a title that you probably hear in, but uh, there are honorables all over the world, but in England, you will hear things like the Honorable John Yates. Um, and the honorable line means that his parent is a somebody, is a titled somebody. Um, his parent might be a viscount or a baron or someone, and... To distinguish John Yates from any other person, they give him the title of honorable so that you know that he comes from that sort of uh, background and family. So that's what honorable means. Sometimes it means that you're going to inherit a title, um, but not always. Uh, so it was more of a distinctive title for children of peered members of society. They called that them the peerage which I always thought was kind of funny um, so that's what honorable means today we're going to run into a dowager um, and that's someone who once held the title and no longer holds the title because their husband has passed away um, so we're going to meet a dowager viscountess well it means she used to be the viscountess while she was married um, and then her husband passed, and now the title will have passed on to someone else, but she's still allowed to be called a Viscountess. They just call her Dowager, so you know she's not holding the title, but they give her the distinction of the, the rank anyway. Um, and her daughter is an honorable, because her father had been a Viscount, um... And so, yeah, so that's how some of the titles work that we're going to run into in this chapter. The other thing we're going to run into this chapter, which is far more amusing, is a beauty product um, called Gowlins, which I had to look up because why not? Um, Gowlins is a is a lotion, um, and I have to read you their product tagline. Eruptive humors fly before its power. Pimples and freckles die within an hour. Um, with a tagline like that, who wouldn't want to buy some of that, you know? Um, it also, though, however, apparently contained mercury. So I wouldn't suggest going out and buying it um, today. But uh, back in the day, obviously, they didn't have to have truth in advertising. They could just say stuff like, your pimples and freckles will vanish. Um, and they didn't have any accountability as to what they put into their products even if they knew products were dangerous. And, and that is not to say that they knew at that time how dangerous mercury was. Um, I rather believe they didn't. So anyway, uh, that's a beauty product we're going to talk about. You can probably guess who's going to be talking about it if you've been 
following along, you know who is our freckled character. Um, all right, I think those are our two big chapter notes. So we will go ahead and get started with chapter four. one point which Anne, on returning to her family, would have been more thankful to ascertain, even than Mr. Elliot's being in love with Elizabeth, which was her father's not being in love with Mrs. Clay. And she was very far from easy about it when she had been at home a few hours. Going down to breakfast the next morning, she found there that it had been a decent pretense on the lady's side of meaning to leave them. She could imagine Mrs. Clay to have said, Oh, now that Miss Anne has come, she should not suppose herself at all wanted. For Elizabeth was replying in a sort of soft whisper. That must not be any reason indeed. I assure you I feel it none. She is nothing to me, my dear, compared to you. This was in full time to hear her father say, My dear madam, this must not be. As yet you have seen nothing of Bath. You have been here only to be useful. You must not run away from us now. You must stay to be acquainted with Mrs. Wallace, the beautiful Mrs. Wallace. To your fine mind, I well know the sight of beauty is a real gratification. Okay, can I just add, by the way, Mrs. Clay, as we know, has children of her own. Two small children that she left back in Kellich Village with her father. And she's just been away from them all this time. And I just... <laughs> Okay, it just drives me a little crazy, but I'm moving on. He spoke and looked so much in earnest that Anne was not surprised to see Mrs. Clay stealing a glance at Elizabeth and herself. Her countenance, perhaps, might express some watchfulness, but the praise of the fine mind did not appear to excite a thought in her sister. The lady could not but yield such joint entreaties and a promise to stay. Could not but yield. In the course of the morning, Anne and her father, chancing to be alone together, he began to compliment her on her improved looks. He thought her less thin in her person, in her cheeks, her skin, her complexion greatly improved, clearer, fresher. Had she been using anything in particular? No, nothing. Merely Gowland, he supposed. No, nothing at all. Ha! Huh! He was surprised to hear that, and added, Certainly you can do better... You cannot do better than to continue as you are. You cannot be better than well. Or I should recommend Gowland, the constant use of Gowland during the spring months. Mrs. Clay has been using it at my recommendation, and you see what it has done for her. You see how it has carried away her freckles. If Elizabeth could have but heard this, such personal praise might have struck her, especially as it did not appear to Anne that the freckles were at all lessened. But everything must take its chance. The evil of the marriage would be much diminished if Elizabeth were to also marry. As for herself, she might always command a home with Lady Russell. Lady Russell's composed mind and polite manners were put on trial at this point in her intercourse with Camden Place. The sight of Mrs. Clay in such favor and Anne so overlooked was a perpetual provocation provocation to her there and vexed her as much as when she was away as in person in bath who drinks the water gets all the new publication and has a very large acquaintance has time to be vexed i did not mention about bath um but its big claim to fame are hot springs that are under the city and 
people from I believe medieval times have been traveling to Bath to drink the hot spring water. Um, it supposed it always was rumored that you know there was very healing waters. Um, and then down by the sea, it was very calming and relaxing. Um, so it's always been a great destination spot in England. And um, during the Regency period, it was very, like everything else, highly orchestrated. Um, you would arrive in Bath and then you'd go to the pump rooms, they called them, where they, guess what, pump out water. And you would pay for a glass of water and you drink the water. And then in the pump rooms, you would socialize with other people. They were big, large, open galleries for people to stroll around and chit-chat. Um, and then you could use them later in the day for dancing and stuff at the pump rooms. Um, but anyway, so Bath was very, very um, popular destination for drinking the waters, for gaining health. Uh, that's not why... Um, these two have settled there, um, Elizabeth and Sir Elliot settled there because, uh, because so many people retreated there and went there for their health, it was also a place of great society, and um, that's why they went to Bath. But I, I realized that I didn't ever mention about the waters, so I thought I'd throw that out there. Um, I know growing up in Idaho, there were lots of hot springs, and people... Um, always said that, you know, bathing in hot springs was really good for your skin. And, um, I don't know if I know anyone who drank hot springs water. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me. Water, hot springs water does have a lot of minerals in it by its very nature. It probably was very good to people who had irregular diets and needed those extra vitamins and minerals. So it probably did have, you know, some limited healing effects. Anyway, I've moved on a little again, so we're going to go back to the story. As Mr. Elliot became known to her, she grew more charitable or indifferent towards the others. His manners were an immediate recommendation, and on conversing with him, she found the solid so fully supporting the superficial that she was at first, as she told Anne, almost ready to exclaim, Can this be, Mr. Elliot? And could not seriously picture herself a more agreeable or estimable man. Everything united in him, good understanding, correct opinions, knowledge of the world, and a warm heart. He had strong feelings of family attachment and family honor, without pride or weakness. He lived with the liberty of a man of fortune, without display. He judged for himself everything essential, without defying public opinion or in any point of worldly decorum. He was steady, observant, moderate candid, never run away by his spirits or selfishness, which fancied itself very strong feeling, and yet, with a sensibility of what was amiable and lovely, and a value for all the felicities of domestic life, which characters of fancied enthusiasm and violent agitation seldom really possess. She was sure that he had not been happy in marriage. Colonel Wallace had said it, and Lady Russell saw it, but it had been no unhappiness to sour his mind, nor, she began pretty soon to suspect, to prevent his thinking of a second choice. Her satisfaction in Mr. Elliot outweighed all the plague of Mrs. Clay. It was now some years since Anne had begun to learn that she didn't, and her excellent friend could sometimes think differently, and it did not surprise her, therefore, that Lady Russell should see nothing suspicious or inconsistent 
nothing to require more motives than appeared in Mr. Elliot's great desire of a reconciliation. In Lady Russell's view, it is perfectly natural that Mr. Elliot, at a mature time of life, should feel it a most desirable object, and that would be very generally recommended to him among all sensible people to be on good terms with the head of his family in the simplest process of the world upon a naturally clear a head naturally clear and only airing in the heyday of youth. Anne presumed, however, to still smile about it, and at last to mention Elizabeth. Lady Russell listened and looked and only made this cautious reply, Elizabeth, very well, time will explain. It was a reference to the future, which Anne, after a little observation, felt she must submit to. She could not deter she could determine nothing at present. In that house Elizabeth must be first, and she was in the habit of such general observance of Miss Elliot that any particularity of attention seemed almost impossible. Mr. Elliot, too, it must be remembered, had not been a widower seven months. A little delay on his side might be very excusable. In fact, Anne could never see the crape around his hat without fearing that she was the inexcusable one for attributing him such imaginations, for though his marriage had not been happy, still it existed so many years that she could not comprehend the very rapid recovery from the awful impression of its being dissolved. He was not wearing a French pancake around his head. Not that kind of crepe. <laughs> I'm hungry. I did not have breakfast. I had tea and didn't feel like breakfast. And now we're talking about crepes. And now I feel like breakfast. But it's already 1130. So I have to wait till lunch. Anyway, crepe. Crepe is a type of fabric. It was specifically often worn by mourners. Um, C-R-A-P-E. P.E. Um, one of the interesting things about mourners' garments at this time is they were all very highly flammable um, compared to normal fabric. So uh, it was very often that people in mourning, especially women who had large gowns, um, would be set on fire on accident. You know, they'd bump up against the candle and whoosh! There went the widow. Um... That's just an odd side note about fashion and being dangerous. I should tell you all sometimes, if we ever get to that era, um, of like the plastic fabrics that started coming out in the 1950s and um, the number of people who had clothes melted onto their skin. That is also an interesting side story, but a uh, little, little violent. And this is a romantic, humorous podcast, so we're not going to talk about it right now. But anyway, that's what is around his hat is a piece of black um, crepe fabric. Think of like a scarf fabric kind of, um, not crepe like a pancake. However, it might end. He was without any question their pleasant acquaintance in Bath. She saw nobody to equal him and it was great indulgence now and then to talk to him about lime, which he seemed to as lively to wish to see again and to see more of as herself. They went through the particulars of their first meeting a great many times. He gave her to understand that he had looked at her with some earnestness. She knew it well. She remembered another person's look also. They did not always think alike. His value for rank and connection she perceived must be greater than hers. It was not merely a complacence, but it must be a liking to a cause which made him enter warmly into her father and sister's solicitudes on a subject which she thought unworthy to excite them. The Bath paper one morning announced the arrival 
of the Dowager Viscountess Darrymple and her daughter, the Honorable Miss Carteret, and all the comfort of number blank Camden Place was swept away for many days, for the Darrymples, in Anne's opinion, most unfortunately, were the cousins of the Elliots, and the agony was how to introduce themselves properly. Um, <laughs> this is kind of a cute thing. You heard me say the comfort of number blank Camden Place. Jane Austen used real places and in her writings, it, but she was always reluctant or often reluctant to say specific things. Um, in Pride and Prejudice, she always said blank shire because she didn't want to like specifically name which shire they were in. Um, and here, number blank of Camden Place because she doesn't want to like point to a specific house and say, that's it. That's the house that they lived in. Um, you know, I, nowadays we don't worry so much about that sort of thing. Um, but back then Jane Austen didn't want to, you know, just call out a place. Um, anyway, so that's why I said blank. Anne had never seen her father and sister before in contact with nobility and she must acknowledge herself disappointed. She had hoped for better things from their high ideas of their own situation in life, which was reduced to form a wish which she had never foreseen, a wish that they had far more pride. For our cousins Lady Darrymple and Miss Carteret, our cousins the Darrymples, sounded in her ears all day long. Sir Walter had once been in company with the late Viscount, but had never seen any of the rest of the family, and the difficulties of the case arose from there having been a suspicion of all the intercourse by letters of ceremony ever since the death of the said late Viscount, when, in consequence of a dangerous illness of Sir Walter's at the same time, there had been an unlucky omission at Kellich. No letter of condolence had been sent to Ireland. The neglect of the neglect had been visited on the head of the sinner, for when poor Lady Elliot died herself, no letter of condolence was received at Kellich, and consequently there was too much reason to apprehend the Darwimples considered the relationship as closed. There was but too much reason. How to have this anxious business set to rights and be admitted as cousins again was the question. It was a question which, in a more rational manner, neither Lady, neither Lady Russell nor Mr. Elliot thought unimportant. All right, I'm going to just talk about that for a second. Um, so Anne has already remarked a couple times that she she feels the reduction in their um, rank by having to leave their town and live in a house. And her pride has been greatly wounded by this. And it's very interesting because her father and sister, who seem like very prideful creatures, have not been wounded by this. They see nothing wrong in it. And it bothers Anne a great deal. Um, and then uh, knowing themselves to be in a reduced situation, Anne is like, well, now is hardly the time to go be like, these are our cousins, the nobility. And uh, the, but her father and sister are like all over it. And it shames Anne a little. She's like, oh my God, don't you see? This is embarrassing. Um, and then this is a, and then this is one of those politeness things. Um, the Viscount had died. Sir Walter had been sick. So nobody sent any letter to Ireland, which is where the Darrymples have their title and were living. Um, and then to snub them back when Lady Elliot died, they didn't send a condolence letter from Ireland. And so kind of the relationship in those days terms is pretty much over. Um, 
if you weren't polite, you got nothing out of a relationship. Uh, so anyway, I just felt that was worth explaining a little. I'm kind of talking a lot today. I don't know. Maybe I feel a little lonely talking more. Okay, back to the story. Family connections were always... Family connections were always worth preserving. Good company always worth seeking. Lady Dalrymple had taken a house for three months in Laura Place and would be living in style. She had been in Bath the year before, and Lady Russell had heard her spoken of as a charming woman. It was a very desirable that the connection should be renewed, if it could be done, without the compromise of the propriety on the side of the Elliots. Sir Walter, however, would choose his own means, and at last he wrote a very fine letter of ample explanation, regret, and entreaty to his right honorable cousin. Neither Lady Russell nor Mr. Elliot could admire the letter, but it did all that was wanted in bringing three lines of scrawl from the Dowager Viscountess. She would be very much honored, and she'd be very happy in their acquaintance. The toils of the business were over. The sweets began. They visited Laura Place. They had cards. They had the cards of the Dowager Viscountess Darrymple and the Honorable Miss Carteret arranged wherever they might be visible. And our cousins in Laura Place, our cousins Lady Dalrymple and Miss Carteret, were talked of to everybody. Ah, I'm interrupting again. Can't get two paragraphs this time. Um, so the cards were arranged. That means that on their table in the entrance hall where people would come and leave their cards when they come visiting, they would see these cards displayed practically um, so that anyone else who wanted to leave their cards with the Elliots would see, oh, they're friends with the Darimples. Ooh. Um, just like totally over the top bragging. No, 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 no. Not very classy. Anne was ashamed. Had Lady Darrymple and her daughter even been very agreeable, she still would have ashamed at the agitation they created. But they were nothing. They were no superiority of manner, accomplishment, or understanding. Lady Darrymple had acquired the name of a charming woman because she had a smile and a civil answer for everybody. Miss Carteret, with still less to say, was so plain and awkward that she should never have been tolerated in Camden Place but for her birth. Lady Russell confessed that she had expected something better, but yet it was an acquaintance worth having. And when Anne ventured to speak to her on the opinion of them to Mr. Elliot, he agreed to there being nothing in themselves, but still maintained that his family connection and his good company, and as those who collect good company around them, they had their value. Anne smiled and said, My idea of company, good company, Mr. Elliot, is a company of clever, well-informed people, of a great deal of conversation. That is what I call good company. You are mistaken, he said gently. That is not good company. That is the best. Good company only requires birth, education, and manners. And with regard to education, it is not very nice. Birth and good manners are essential, but a little learning is by no means a dangerous thing in good company. On the contrary, it would do very well. My cousin Anne shakes her head. <laughs> she is not satisfied. She is fastidious. My dear cousin, sitting down beside her, you have a better right to be fastidious than almost any other woman I know. But I will, 
But will it answer? Will it make you happy? Will it not be wiser to accept the society of those good ladies in Lara Place, and to enjoy all the advantages of the connection as far as possible? You may depend upon it that they will move in the first set in Bath this winter, and it, as rank is rank, your being known to be related to them will have its use in fixing your family, our family, let me say, in that degree of consideration which we all must wish for. Yes, sighed Anne, we shall indeed be known to be related to them. Then recollecting herself and not wishing to be answered, she added, I certainly do think that there has been far too much trouble taken by to procure the acquaintance. I suppose, smiling, she said, I have more pride than any of you, but I confess it vexes me, that we shouldn't be so solicitous to have the relationship acknowledged, and that we may be very sure it is a matter of perfect indifference to them. Pardon me, my dear cousin, you are unjust in your own claims. In London, perhaps, in your present quiet style of living, it might be as you say, but in Bath, Sir Walter Elliot and his family will always be worth knowing, always be acceptable as an acquaintance. Well, said Anne, I, am certain, I certainly am proud, too proud to enjoy and welcome, which depends so entirely upon place. I love your indignation, said he. It is very natural. But here you are in Bath, and the object is to be established here with all the credit and dignity which ought to belong to Sir Walter Elliot. You have been talking of being proud. I am called proud, I know. I shall not wish to believe myself otherwise, for our pride, if investigated, would have the same object. I have no doubt, though, it may s though the kind may seem a little different. In one point, I am sure, my dear cousin— he continued, speaking in a lower, speaking lower, though there was no one else in the room. In one point, I am sure we must feel alike. We must feel that every addition to your father's society amongst his superiors or equals may be in use of diverting his thoughts from those who are beneath him. He looked as he spoke, spoke to the seat which Mrs. Clay had been lately occupying, a sufficient explanation of what he particularly meant, and though Anne could not believe in their having the same sort of pride, she was pleased with him for not liking Mrs. Clay, and her conscience admitted that his wishing to promote her father's getting an acquaintance was more excusable in the view of defeating her. End chapter 4 All right, well, Mr. Elliot, um, I, Lady Russell could not have been praising him more. Oh my gosh, she thinks he's the most amazing person who ever lived, it sounds like. That's kind of, I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone praised like that, ever, um, in real life. Anyway, uh, so that was an interesting chapter. We found out that pride is a very varying thing, um, the pride of the Elliots, yes, they all have it, but they all have it a little differently, apparently. Um, and Anne is really enjoying her dear cousin, um, and I don't blame her. He seems like a perfectly charming gentleman. I'd probably enjoy talking with him, too. Uh, <laughs> I tried to do his voice kind of 
low and smooth. I don't know if I did a good job. I kind of forgot I was doing it for a second there. Anyway, so that was chapter four. Next time is a bit of a long chapter. Uh, it's ten pages, so we'll see how that one goes. Um, and uh, Mr. Elliot is apparently concerned about Mrs. Clay. Um, so that that kind of makes Anne more disposed to like him because she still really hates Mrs. Clay. <laughs> well, I don't think she hates her as a person. I think she just hates that Mrs. Clay is hanging out with Elizabeth too much and her father is looking too interested in Mrs. Clay. Um, but like she said, if Elizabeth were to get married, if her father was to make a disastrous second marriage, it would be a little lessened. So we'll see how it all goes. Um, let me know what you guys think. I didn't hear anything about last chapter. Uh, so I miss, I miss your feedback. So let me know how it's going, everyone. And we'll, we'll do the long chapter tomorrow. I'll see if I can abuse the bell less. Bye for now, everyone. Love you much. So I gotta say, our dear cousin, Mr. Elliot, has been giving off very particular, very certain vibes as far as I'm concerned. So, cousin Elliot, this one goes out to you. He's got the money. Now he's back for the family connections. Maybe I'm wrong. If I am impugning his impeccable character, I apologize. But those are the vibes, dude.